Welcome to another NPC episode of It's All Relative. You may have noticed I took a week off. The nice thing about running a podcast in which everything is done by me and me alone is that I can be a bit selfish and take a week off. And people, please, I have finally learned a lesson that y'all should take to heart. You are not a doormat. You matter. Do not treat yourself worse than the others around you. On that note, I have been reminded by the CYA police to let my listeners know that this podcast is a product of me, myself, and I, and my cat, apparently, who is here to join the podcasting. The opinions are all mine, as are the mistakes. Do not try to sue anyone, please. Any companies I may be affiliated with have no part in this production, and I have no money. You will not get blood from a turnip, and I am definitely a root vegetable. I also want to remind you that this is a crime podcast, and the topics are not for the faint of heart. Oh, and I fucking swear like a sailor. If any of this sounds like it isn't your thing, you have the ability to stop listening. And now is the time to take that option. So let's kick this off with the talking heads, and yes, that is dramatic irony. It's that beautiful house. You may ask yourself, where does that highway go to? And you may ask yourself, am I right? Am I wrong? And you may say to yourself, my God, what have I done? When I started the NPC offshoot of IAR, I said the cases I covered would be unsolved. In the case we are discussing today, there is an actual conviction, so technically I have made myself a liar. However, the sheer fact that there is still debate about the validity of that conviction almost 20 years after the case was filed in the closed and never coming back from this folder puts the lie to that claim. Frances Elaine McLemore Nelms Newton was born on April 12, 1965, into a Christian family in Harris County, Texas. She grew up with 10 other siblings. Yes, that was the number 10. Frances was known as a bit of a troublemaker. By age 15, she had not only fallen for a neighborhood boy, Adrian Newton, she had given birth to her first child, Alton. Even with the help from her family, Frances did not stay away from the wrong side of the law. According to the Texas Execution Information Center, she had been fired for stealing and then ended up in court for forgery with her next job. In December of 1985, she was convicted of forgery and given three years probation. Now, during this time, it's a bit murky what Adrian and Frances' relationship is like. The impression I get is that it was somewhere along the lines of on again, off again, or storm. Nevertheless, the couple were married on May 19, 1984, when Francis was 19 and Adrian was 21. They welcome a daughter into the world about a year later. They name her Farah. Adrian is said to have been something of a charmer or a womanizer. Francis says he had been unfaithful, and at the time of the yet-to-be-discussed crime, which is three years later, Adrian had a girlfriend, and Francis has a boyfriend. 
Some reports state that they were still living together for the financial benefit and because they had two children, but were really living separate lives. This is what Francis says about it. Adrian hadn't been faithful in a marriage uh, for several, several times. And on my part, after so many times, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to do this and let him see how it feels, you know, and I did, and that wasn't a good thing on my part. So one of the things that I was going to fix is I wasn't going to do that anymore. Um, I had, unfortunately, I had started a relationship with a guy that I'd gone to school with, and of course he was upset about that, and I wanted him to be because I wanted him to feel what I had felt. When I say that I wanted to fix it, that's one of the things that I had done. I said, cut that relationship off. And, and he said that he would quit doing, you know, quit running around. He would quit doing drugs and he would quit doing illegal activity. And you, you believed you just... Yes, I did. So that clip was from an interview that is currently only available on YouTube. The YouTuber uses Chinese characters, so I can't say their name because I don't read Chinese. But the video is called Francis Newton Death Row Interview, Most Excited Crime Story. All the clips of Francis in this podcast come from that YouTube video, although a few of the individual clips in that YouTube video are also available from other sources. It was just easier to use everything from the same source. So Francis is having a revenge affair and has loose concepts of property ownership. Adrian is not thrilled with being tied down to Francis and also is reported to have a drug habit. Now, Adrian's mother denies this claim adamantly, but according to Francis and her mother, Jewel, Adrian owed $1,500 to a drug dealer named Charlie. So right off the bat, none of this is a setup for success. Early in 1987, the house where several of Francis's cousins live burns down and three people are killed. This puts a huge financial burden on the family of those killed because no one had insurance. This prompts Frances's father to encourage her to make sure everyone in her family has life insurance. By March, Frances is sold on that idea, so when an agent approaches her about purchasing some insurance, Frances gets policies on Adrian and Farah. Now, Alton already had a policy that was taken out when his grandparents had primary care of him, you know. Back when Frances was only 15 and could barely take care of her own damn self, let alone a child. Frances does, however, forge Adrian's signature on his policy. She says she does this so he wouldn't know about the money she had put aside for the premiums. And considering he supposedly owed $1,500 to Charlie, the dealer, it is a logical answer. It might be a stupid thing to do, but it is a logical answer. Three weeks later... On April 7th, 1987, Francis overhears Adrian and his brother Sterling talking about something sketchy. You know, I had heard Adrian and his brother talking earlier that day, and they had mentioned something about some trouble. And Adrian had told me he had was quit using drugs. And so I looked in the cabinet, and I'm just trying to confirm that he, he's telling me the truth about the drugs. And so I looked in the cabinet where he normally kept drugs. And there wasn't any in there, but there was this gun there. And it was unfamiliar to me. And so hearing his conversation earlier with his brother Sterling, I took it. 
So Frances had made plans with her cousin Sandra, and she puts the gun in a duffel bag and takes it with her. Sandra lives in the house next to the one that burned, and Frances thinks this would be a good place to hide the gun. So last thing before she leaves to go back to her apartment, and in full view of Sandra, Frances puts the duffel with the gun inside into a hole in the wall of the house, which looks like it may have been like a return air vent or something, but anyway, she's hiding the gun in the house. Sandra and Frances then go back to the apartment, and immediately the phone rings. It's someone wanting to speak with Adrian. Frances puts down the phone to go over to the sofa where Adrian is sleeping so she can wake him up and he can answer his call. But he's not asleep, and neither are her babies. And not to be cliche, but when Frances realizes the babies are dead too, she faints dead away. Now, the following quote I'm going to read is from the Texas Execution Information Center. Quote, On 7 April 1987, at about 6.45 p.m., Ramona Bell, Adrian's girlfriend, phoned Adrian. Bell and Adrian spoke for about 15 minutes. Adrian told Bell that he was tired and was going to sleep, but not until Frances left because he did not trust her. Between 7 and 7.30, Frances Newton arrived in an automobile at the residence of her cousin, Sandra Nelms. Newton asked Nelms to come over to her apartment for a visit. Before they left, Nelms watched Newton remove a blue bag from her car and put it inside the house next door to Nelms. The house was abandoned and belonged to Newton's parents. They went to Newton's apartment. Upon their arrival, they found Newton's husband and two children dead. Newton immediately called 911. At 8.27 p.m., Harris County Sheriff's Deputy R.W. Ricks was dispatched to the apartment complex. Newton and Nelms were present when Ricks arrived. In Newton's apartment, Ricks found the bodies of Adrian, Alton, and Farrah Newton. Adrian was on a couch, shot in the head. The two children were in their beds, each shot in the chest. Deputy Ricks found no signs of forced entry or struggle. Later that evening, Nelms told a homicide detective about the blue bag and took him to the abandoned house. Inside the house, he found a blue bag containing a 25 caliber semi-automatic pistol. The gun was traced to one Michael Newton, who told the police that he had loaned it five or six months earlier to his cousin, Jeffrey Frelo. When detectives showed Frelo the gun, he recognized it and said that he kept it in a chest of drawers in his bedroom. He also said that his girlfriend, Frances Newton, often did his laundry and had easy access to the gun. On 21 April, Newton filed claims on the life insurance policies she had taken out a month earlier. She was arrested and charged with capital murder the next day. A ballistics expert testified that the pistol found in the abandoned house was the murder weapon. He also testified that nitrate residue from gunpowder was found on the skirt that Newton was seen wearing the day of the shootings. He testified that another possible source of nitrates was fertilizer. Newton pleaded not guilty. At her trial, she testified that she found the gun in her home and took it out of the apartment as a safety measure. She said her family may have been killed by a drug dealer named Charlie in the process of trying to collect a debt from her husband, a longtime drug addict. In October 1988, a jury convicted Newton of capital murder for killing more than one person in the same offense and sentenced her to death. The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals affirmed the conviction and sentence in June 1992. All of her subsequent appeals in state and federal court were denied. Newton maintained her innocence in a death row interview. I was so scared and confused. Not only was my family dead, but then they're charging me with murder, she said. End quote. 
Okay, so I left a bit of the timeline details out of that because without a flowchart, it just confuses everything. But I do want it to be known that if Frances shot her family, there was a very tight window in which she could have done it. The importance of this will shortly become apparent. Firstly, yes, Frances has a past that doesn't make her look amazing. So investigators had a right to be suspicious of her. Plus, she hit a gun. Also, not a good look. And I'm not sure if she was just delusional about her relationship with Adrian, the whole we're going to work on our marriage part of it, or if she was just trying to put a positive spin on things because she knew it looked bad. Or maybe Adrian lied to her. It wouldn't be the first time a man lied to his wife about their relationship. The problem is that no one ever looked into this, or any of it. Francis's court-appointed attorney, Ron Mock, had never won a death penalty case. Yes, I did say never. He freely admitted that he was burnt out when he took her case, and he made no effort to actually defend her. By 2001, he was actually barred from taking any more capital cases. Didn't help Francis, but at least eventually they caught up to him. When Francis tried to have him removed from her case, the court ruled that they would allow it, but there would be absolutely no delay in the trial. Any new attorney would not be given any additional time to get up it to speed. So Francis kept mock. Now, Mock spoke with her a minimal amount. He called no witnesses to her defense. He presented no evidence of reasonable doubt, let alone potential exoneration. Uh, Mock has already said he was tired. He didn't want to take the case. So he didn't even look, I don't even think he looked at the police report. You know, one of my neighbors said they heard gunshots at 7.30. Why weren't they brought to testify in trial? I just saw that in the clemency report, you know. I never knew that. That person should have been brought to trial to testify. That was something the defense was supposed to do and never did. Okay, so that court, the court where she's being tried, that was a Harris County court. Now, Harris County, in 2005, they ranked third in convictions in the U.S behind the actual states of Texas itself and Virginia. So Texas had the most convictions. Virginia had the second most convictions. And then this one county, a county in Texas, was third in convictions in the entire U.S. of A. The BBC reports, and I quote, According to the 2015 report from the National Registry of Exonerations at the University of Michigan Law School, 149 people were exonerated in 29 states after serving an average sentence of 14.5 years in prison. Serving 14.5 years in prison for something you didn't do. 42 of those 2015 cases came from Harris County. 42 out of 149. The most from any single jurisdiction. The second runner-up is Brooklyn County, New York with just eight. This is the second year in a row that Harris County, whose population is just shy of 4.5 million and encompasses the city of Houston, led the report in sheer numbers. In 2014, it had 31, making it the exoneration capital of the U.S., end quote. In 1987, at the time of the Newton killings and Francis's trial, the Harris County lab 
was under a serious cloud of scandal due to incompetence, mishandled, lost, and possibly fabricated evidence. But Frances is in Harris County, and Frances has Ron Mock as her attorney. So, Frances is convicted. On no evidence. We'll get to that. But remember, Harris County, the hanging county. And to rub rock salt in the wounds, Texas has some very strict and specific laws regarding appeals. And granted, most states make it more difficult to win an appeal because the system is based on the notion that the convicted got a fair trial to begin with. Texas is above and beyond that, at least until recently, and recently did not help Francis. The following is from a publication called Justice Denied from an article, New Evidence of Francis Newton's Innocent Ignored by Courts and Texas Governor. I quote, Francis Newton was executed by Texas on September 14, 2005, in spite of compelling new evidence casting substantial doubt on her guilt. Newton's pro bono legal team was unable to get any state or federal court to look at that evidence, and Governor Perry failed to either commute her sentence or grant a stay so her lawyers could continue their efforts to win a new trial that would put the new evidence in front of a jury for the first time. Two days after Newton's execution, her attorney, David Dow, said the prosecution's case for Newton's guilt was based on three issues, financial motive, gunpowder residue on her skirt, and she hid the murder weapon. The alleged financial motive was a life insurance policy on her family that a bank employee talked her into purchasing when she went to the bank to open a savings account. The alleged gunpowder residue on her skirt was actually garden fertilizer, and the hidden gun was not the murder weapon, but a gun she hid from her husband prior to the murders. End quote. So, one, the life insurance we've essentially talked about. She got it because her cousins died without it, and it was a mess for the family that was left behind. They arrested Frances as soon as she tried to claim it, like that was proof of her guilt. I mean, what the hell is that? Of course she's going to claim it. She had to pay for the funeral. That's what it's for. Two, the nitrates. Look, several sources stated that the nitrates were on the bottom on the hem of her maxi dress. Ladies, you know how hard it is to keep the bottoms of those dresses clean. You walk through grass or a garden and there will be bits of earth and plants down there. It is not going to stay clean. I took my kids to Scotland. They ran after sheep. On the way home, customs stopped us because inside of one of the suitcases tested positive for nitrates. Why do you think all those bomb makers are stocking up on bags of fertilizer? And who be shooting three people and not having one stitch of blood, bone, or brain on them anywhere? But also only has nitrates on their clothes down by the floor? Not on their arms, hands, shirt, hair, face, midriff? Nope. Only the hem at the floor on the garment that basically brushes the floor by design. She could have gotten it just by walking into the house after the killings from GSR on the floor. 3. The gun. She shot them and then left with the gun to hide it. But her cousin Sandra saw no blood anywhere on Francis. In fact, there was none. Francis hid the gun in full sight of her cousin just as if she wasn't doing anything wrong. Oh, and there was that other gun. That's right, the police recovered two and possibly three guns in searches conducted in the investigation. Now back to that Justice Denied article. Quote, Although the Harris County DA adamantly denies that a second gun was involved, Dow said, 
there were multiple guns involved, and the state mixed up or deliberately switched the murder weapon with the gun that she hid prior to the crime. That accounts for the gun they alleged she had matching the bullets recovered from the victims. Not only did an assistant DA admit to a Dutch reporter during a videotaped interview that more than one gun was involved, but Dow said that the case was originally investigated as a murder of the children by Newton's husband, who police believe then committed suicide by shooting himself. That indicates the investigating officers found a gun either in his hand or very near his body, which supports Newton's assertion that the gun she hid couldn't have been used in the crime. Dow said the only crime scene photos he has seen were taken after the bodies and the gun that would have been laying near the body of Newton's husband were removed. Dow also said two weeks after the crime, officers told Newton's father that the ballistic tests of the bullets that killed the members of her family didn't match Newton's gun, the one she had hidden, end quote. Now, remember, Harris County was under a lab scandal. All it would take would be mislabeling the guns, and suddenly the murder weapon is now labeled as the one recovered from the burned-out house. So even though the same damn lab retested the gun during the appeals process, yes, you heard that right, the same lab retested the gun during her appeal, if it were mislabeled, they were actually just retesting the wrong gun. And just to prove the incompetence, all of the evidence from the case was stored together in the same box. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but what I mean by that is not in separate bags inside the box, but just uncontained, touching each other inside the box. Contamination, anyone? No retesting was possible. And I just wonder, did anyone even look into the Charlie angle? I mean, Vice would probably have a record of a dealer named Charlie. $1,500 in 1987 is about $4,000 in today's money, and that's really nothing to sneeze at, especially if you're a drug dealer, and especially if you're trying to make a point to other people that don't pay up. Adrian's mom denied Adrian used drugs, but a simple talk screen would have answered with any doubt. And if they did recover a now-lost or mislabeled gun from inside the apartment, where was it found? Because if Adrian was desperate enough, he could have committed familicide, leaving Francis to take the blame. Not saying he did, but was it even looked into? I'm betting no. Also in that Justice Denied article, I quote, Dow said he would like to continue developing evidence of Newton's innocence, but he can't get into court representing a dead client. End quote. In an article called Francis Newton Executed in Worker's World, Jewel Nelm said, and I quote, The state of Texas thinks that they can kill Francis and it's over. Well, her execution is not the end, but the beginning. We are going to prove that she didn't kill her children. We are going to take on the DA and the Houston cops. I'm not going to stop until I clear her name. And then I will sue the police and the DA and the state of Texas for false imprisonment, for wrongful conviction, and for taking her life. End quote. Okay, Jewel, lady, I am with you. I am a mama too, and you know you gotta be real about your kids. I don't think Frances made the best decisions before prison, you gotta admit. But I'm not convinced she killed anyone, and she certainly was not proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And now I wanna know what happened. So if you hear this, call me, lady. We got some investigating to do. As for the rest of my listeners, here's Little Texas and their obvious cry for secession. See you next time on It's All Relative. 
God bless Texas.